How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again, working our way through the Bible. We are up to 1 Timothy chapter 2. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. And we are in chapter 2. And if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. If it's not related to the topic at hand, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast, as we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing as much as we can. But if you have something you'd like to add, uh, to throw in here in, in regards to our study at hand, please feel free to chime in, ask away. I'd love to hear from you. If you need us to go back over something again, you're not sure about what we're talking about, please don't hesitate to ask. We'll be glad to hear from you. Alrighty, so we are in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we've got an interesting one here today. We've got some cross-referencing we're going to be looking at. Again, using our system, the Berean method of interpretation, application, demonstration, the what, the how, the why of Scripture, what it specifically says, the narrative of the text. Then we back up, go again over it slowly, taking a look at the how. How is it specifically being said, doing the um, the word studies, cross-references, how, how can you pair what, you re what you're reading with other aspects of the Word of God. And then finally, demonstration, learning the importance of why we should go live it, speak it, think it, do it. Alrighty, so with that at hand, grab your tea, grab your coffee, grab your snacks, grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens. Come join us at the table. And uh, time to study the Word of God. Okay, <clears throat> so we are in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, actually we're going to back up uh, to uh, chapter 1 verse 19, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 19, holding faith, Not, uh, just there's a, a point there I really want to emphasize on, I focus on holding faith if you're into underlining highlighting marking your bible do so there with first timothy chapter 1 verse 19 the first two words holding faith this is one that's really going to carry through uh, into the next bit of our study holding faith and a good conscience which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck so that verse uh, uh, some they have abandoned let go and we're going to be looking into something regarding that in our study of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Okay, so holding faith and good conscience, which some have wandered away from and made shipwreck of. Okay, so chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, helps, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men. Important aspect here of intercession. Um intercessory prayer and interceding for others helping others a great aspect of the born-again christian faith if we actually go over to james and we want to go down to james chapter 1 verse 27 james chapter 1 verse 27 pure religion 
and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fathers and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So this is a verse I always like to throw in when I'm on social media or elsewhere or I'm talking to someone and you always wind up hearing the, the comment from some people where uh, uh, bashing religion, Christianity is not a religion, it's a faith. Religion is man-made. Faith is of Jesus. It's not about religion. It's not religion. Religion's bad. Reli <laughs> Just bashing it and it's saying how religion has no aspect. Religion is man-made and all this. Okay. I know where you're coming from with that, but that's incorrect. All right. You see, as James here, James chapter 1, verse 27, pure religion and undefiled. Pure, undefiled religion before God is this. So we do see that not all religion is bad. And that not all religion is man-made. So we see pure, undefiled, God-given, born-again Christian religion is this. Okay, so... What is religion then? We see faith is of the heart. Faith is believing trust. Religion is the, uh, the, the physical carryings out of one's belief of faith. That's what religion is. Religion is the physical carryings out of one's belief of faith. So we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all our, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Out of you will flow the springs of living water. The Christian religion. The born-again, biblical, God-given Christian religion. It will flow out of you the good works, the, good, the fruits, all this. And helping the widows and the, those in need and all these others. The love of the brethren. The, the attending and the gathering together uh, to worship the Lord. All of this. So we see holding faith in good conscience before God in our carrying out of God-given religion. So now, I understand how the word religion has been kind of taken advantage of and muddied in all of this. And a lot of people don't understand that. And regardless of what I say here, there are some people that are just going to say, no, religion's bad. You just don't understand. <laughs> all right, but we got to take what the Bible flat out says. And because the Bible, God's word which he sets above his very name, then he preserves unto all generations. He talks about uh, our pure religion, so we can't then say all religion's bad. We have to understand what religion is, the physical carryings out of one's belief of faith. So because of your faith in Christ, you go and help the poor and the needy, and you fellowship with the saints and, and encourage them and exhort them and, and call the lost to Christ. That is carrying out your faith, i.e., your religion okay so that's what we have there and in this we see i exhort therefore the first of all supplications that's the helps you see someone in need you help them prayers offering our prayers to the lord intercessions interceding for others as uh, you pray for the the fellow saints and you ask the lord to help them encourage them uplift them and intercede for them you, you bless them Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, intercessions and giving of thanks, the praising of the Lord, and the thanking the Lord for all that he's done. Be made for all men. 
So we see that uh, we don't just pray about ourselves and just the saints, but also for the lost and the poor and the needy. All these things is always at work and before the Lord, before all men, carrying out our faith, working out our salvation. So we are born again saved. We are saved. We now carry it out. We now act upon it. We now do the due diligence. We now walk with Christ. We pick up the cross, follow him. Uh, we carry out the pure religion undefiled. That's what that means. Okay, so we see holding faith, holding on as we grab a hold of this and we don't let go. And no matter what comes, whether the mountaintops or the valley of the shadow of death, regardless uh, what is going on, we stay faithful to the Lord, holding faith. And we and we intercede and help, uh, help uh, all people that come ever before us as much as life within you live peaceably with all men okay so we see an importance here of the acting upon the carrying out of our beliefs of our faith of our religion and also we see here intercessions and prayers all these things be made for all men verse 2 for kings rulers and for all that are in authority okay Okay, now this this is a verse here that I know a lot of people struggle with, and if I dare say, if not all, <laughs> all Christians struggle with this one. Uh, praying for uh, not. <laughs> Praying for in a in a positive sense, not praying that the Lord would smite them, but rather praying, interceding for our rulers, interceding for those in the in positions of authority over us. Okay, so prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, as well, and for all that are in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Okay. Now, this is where some people chime in and say, yes, because all rulers are placed in by God. No, they're not. No, they're not. Now, this is what you need to understand. Not all rulers, kings, princes, governors, presidents, prime ministers, emperors are set up ordained by God. Absolutely not. How can you say that? You don't believe in the sovereignty of God? No, I do. I just don't believe that uh, not, uh, that all rulers are positioned by God because the Bible flat out says they're not. <laughs> in Hosea, go back to Old Testament. If all rulers and authorities were placed by God, then why in the world does the Bible say this? Because as we also see, for example, and we go into the Old Testament as David was God's choice. And the Bible says that Saul, King Saul, was the people's choice. And we also see in Hosea, in the Old Testament, we go to Hosea chapter 8, verse 4. Hosea chapter 8, verse 4. God says, they have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not, meaning God had nothing to do with it. It wasn't of God. It wasn't God's choice. 
wasn't God's choice, wasn't God's selection. God did not set these ones up. The people went and set these ones up of their own, like King Saul. Okay, let's keep going now. We want to go over to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. Okay, so we're subjected to the power of God, right? And that which God does set up. So how can we know which rulers then are potentially set up by God then? Bible shows us. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Wherefore, that where whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of god and they that resist shall receive themselves damnation for rulers okay for rulers are not a terror to good works but to the evil will thou then not be afraid of, uh, of the power do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same so those that God does set up, like David, for example, are not a terror to good works, unlike King Saul, who was a terror to good works. So we also have to take a look at good works by the context of Scripture, by the standard of God's view. What are good works according to God? We see obedience to the Lord, obedience to the Scriptures, obedience to the faith, pure religion undefiled. So rulers that are a terror to good works, for example, and I'll just say it like the Canadian government. Like the Canadian government right now, uh, where they are a absolute terror to good works, where they arrest pastors, arrest preachers, arrest street preachers. They condemn the Bible. They actually pass laws in Parliament uh, against the Bible, make certain passages of Scripture, hate speech. They chain churches uh, shut. They uh, they demand that you're not allowed to gather together for worship. You can't sing out loud the praises of God. You can't proselytize. Uh, they pass bylaws in cities where it's against the law to proselytize in cities in the street. All that kind of stuff. A terror to good works. We see, like, for example, the government in China that arrests and beats and kills Christians, the same as uh, some governments elsewhere around the world. These are terrors to good work. God did not set these ones up. God did not set these ones up. And then we also will take a look at Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, where the apostles are brought up before the Sanhedrin. Where they, com where they commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And what did they say? We ought to obey God rather than men. So when we take all of this into context then, the powers that be which are ordained of God are not a terror to good works. But those that are set up as authorities and powers of governments and rules and authorities that are a terror to God's good works, good works according to God's standard, we don't have to obey that. But we do see that verse 2 of Romans chapter 13, verse 2, whosoever therefore resisted the power, okay, which power? What power are we talking about? The power that is ordained of God is government, judgment, law enforcement according to actual law you know that we see based off of god's law but we do see the government's creating laws that are 
in contradiction to God's law. Those are not the laws that we follow. We are under no obligation whatsoever to have to obey or follow laws that contradict the word of God. Okay? So we do see then, whosoever therefore resisted the power, that's law based on the law of God, resisted the ordinance of God. What is the ordinance of God? Government. Uh, the actual rule structure of society this kind of thing ba base rule they resist the ordinance of god and they resist they that resist shall receive themselves damnation okay we have to take does that just mean if i don't obey the government i'm going to hell no so we see this is much deeper than that this is authority that uh, uh, those above us those that are rebels rebels of nature and they resist authority you couple this with the book of jude which talks about the fallen angels that rage against those in authority speak evil of dignitaries and they teach others to do so so we see uh, those uh, uh, this influence that would cause people to resist and fight against those that might seek to correct them okay so we see the ordinance of god the law of God we see the structure of law and rule and regarding those that resist and fight against that which God has set up so we have to understand the difference not all rulers are set up by God not all presidents and prime ministers and them are set up by God Lado says in Hosea they have set up kings but not by me they've set up princes and I knew it not Saul was the people's choice. We have to obey God rather than men. So we see all of this put all together. Because there are some that will step up in pulpits and will tell the congregants that you have to obey anything and everything the government says. Because, see, the Bible says that we're supposed to. Those kinds of preachers are biblically ignorant. They don't know what they're talking about, and they, and they are watered down washed out theologically and they don't know what they're talking about or the rulers that are ordained of god and romans 13 verse 3 rulers that are ordained of god are not a terror to good works so we have to take a look at that context good works according to whose standard okay so the, for rulers are not a terror to good works but to the evil by whose standard okay you see that do you see that please let me know you see that okay we then go over to uh back to first timothy chapter 2 verse 2 for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty so you want to pray that that uh, that uh, we do end up with rulers that are not a terror to good works and that will let us live peaceably in honesty in what pure religion undefiled that we'd be able to carry out our faith without opposition that i would be able to go out in the street and preach the gospel without having to be arrested and imprisoned and charged with hate speech yeah so this is the kind of thing that it's talking about and like that uh, elsewhere like in russia and china and australia and we see for example in england 
where they, where they are outlawing the Bible. They're making hate speech. There are passages of scripture that, that actually speak against what society wants. So we see we are ending up with rulers that are a terror to good works, that are a terror to good works, and they are not ordained of God. They're not set up by God. They're set up by the people. They're set up by devils. And thus, we have to be careful then how we respond to that. That uh, as the Bible says, we're supposed to speak evil of no man, render not evil for evil, for that, but rather, as we see, we're to pray for them. Pray that their eyes would be opened. Pray that their understanding would, would, would come to the word of God. Pray that they would get saved. And and at, at least that they would leave us alone. To, to pray, to intercede for them so that we can, as it says in verse 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, that we would lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. Okay? In all godliness and honesty. So, to summarize again, as you see over in Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5 with the apostles hauled up before the Sanhedrin, this is, this is the main key to it. We ought to obey God rather than men. But the liberal, progressive, washed out, Marxist, communist, socialist preachers that get up there and tell all the people that you have to obey anything and everything that, that the government says because that's what God says we have to do. These Marxist, communist, socialist, washed-out, liberal, soy boy, yellow-spined preachers. Yeah, I know I'm being harsh here, but those aren't preachers of God. They're using the Bible to preach globalism. They are more servants of the devil than they are of God in that sense. <clears throat> Where we see, rather, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. What does the Lord say? And Jesus, he calls out, uh, calls out many, call, calling them whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. They have not the love of God in them. They preach for doctrines, the traditions of men. And that we see Jesus uh, calling them wolves, snakes, and everything else, children of the devil. And we see many of these stepping up in positions in pulpits and, and, and swaying the, the uh, professed Christians into obedience of sin. We see people standing up in pulpits uh, and advocating the government rule, saying that you're not allowed to gather together for church. Where God says to gather together. And these ones stepping up in pulpits say, saying that you can't sing the hymns out loud. When God says to lift up your voice like a trumpet. And with these ones stepping in pulpits saying, saying you shouldn't proselytize. Where God says you're supposed to. You see where I'm getting at. These ones, they are not preachers of god they're not pastors of god these are not servants of god they're servants of globalism and sin and worldliness and washed out faithlessness they have the form of godliness but lacking the power thereof they say they love god but they deny him by their works by their fruits you shall know them but we see here rather that that we ought to obey god rather than men and when individuals set themselves up, regardless who they are, individuals who set themselves up as in positions of authority, if they contradict the word of God, you are under no obligation to have to listen to them or obey them, regardless what they say or how they threaten you. We're under no obligation. We have to obey God rather than men. 
and that when they make the Bible outlaw, they ban the church, they ban the faith, and you will see these these soy boy preachers up there that uh, uh, bending and kowtowing to the government rule and telling all the congress that we, we we need to shut down the church because the government doesn't like it. We need to rip out par parts of the Bible because it offends certain people's sin. And people will follow that because they've been brainwashed by these kinds of preachers saying we have to obey everything the government says. Yes, we obey the laws of the land, but when the laws of the land start to contradict the word of God, we ought to obey God rather than men. You see that? Challenge anyone to prove me wrong on that. Now, as we, we've just went over Romans 13, talking about uh, what the Bible says about uh, those in positions of authority and the rulers and the governments and laws of the land. We couple this again, with Acts 4, Acts 5, couple this with Hosea um, and uh, Romans uh, with Romans 13. We, and we bring this over to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. We see that we have a higher calling and a higher obedience. We are citizens of heaven, not the citizens of the nations that we happen to be living in, whether the United States, Canada, or the UK, or wherever else, or Australia, or Africa, where, wherever you happen to be on this earth, and you're a born-again Christian, you're not a citizen of that country. You're a citizen of heaven. And as ambassadors of another kingdom, we obey the laws of our kingdom first and foremost before the laws of the land of earth. Okay, so we have to have our priorities straight. I have to have our priorities straight. When the laws of earth contradict the laws of heaven, we obey heaven first. So we have to obey God rather than men. So we see, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. Because how else then, if the laws of the land are in contradiction to the word of God and we're obeying that, how are we obeying in all godliness? How are we in position of all godliness? That's not godliness. We're refusing to, to gather because the government says so, refusing to witness, refusing to praise, refusing to preach, refusing to obey the Lord because the government doesn't like it, refusing to preach the difference between sin and righteousness. How is that godliness? So you see, you see, exactly, exactly, Sonny, is that our Lord God over nationalism. So we see we've got, we need to be uh, fervent patriots of the kingdom of heaven first and foremost and if our earthly nations are in contradiction to god how can we be patriots of earthly kingdoms that are in direct opposition to the lord you can't stand for liberties and freedoms of earth when those liberties and freedoms are liberties and freedoms of sin and debauchery and filth and wickedness and evil and abomination. And so we see we ought to be God rather than men. Because look what it says in verse, verse 2, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So what is acceptable to God? What is acceptable to the nations of earth? The two are not the same, and you can't hold to the two. We have to obey, obey one and not the other, reject the one and hold to the other. We can't serve God and mammon. We can't serve God and the world. All right? You can't serve two emperors, two kings, two rulers. You have to pick one. You have to pick one. 
So we see, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now, I'm not preaching anti-nationalism. I'm, I'm a nationalist of heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a patriot of heaven. Yes, I, I'm in I'm in the land, and uh, I'm in uh, my country of Canada. Uh, this happens to be the country that I'm living in, but I do not call myself a Canadian because I personally, this is just my opinion on it. I I refuse to call myself really a Canadian. I don't accept that because Canada is debaucherous and sinful and wicked and anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-righteousness. It is it promotes everything that is evil and wicked and abominable before the sight of God. So how can I be in line in acceptance of this? Now there are base rules of the land that are based on the word of God. We see the like for example the Ten Commandments. We see much of this uh, of uh, uh, proper uh, societal uh, what's the word brain shut down on that. Uh, how, how we can live in a proper society uh, all this and we see uh, the prop, uh, proper attitudes of our neighbors and treatment of others and we see uh, uh, against theft and lying and all these things and there's other rules of laws of the land that are not against the word of god but that can be backed up by the word of god but there's a fine line there's a fine line that must be drawn okay we have to obey God rather than men. This is the one thing that much of today's Christians don't comprehend, don't understand. Especially those of the liberal progressive churches. The liberal progressive churches don't understand this one. They think that obeying God is obeying every rule and law and bylaw that the nations of earth happen to pass. No. Okay. I think I hammered on this one enough. I don't, we don't need to keep going over this. Now... We do need to understand who we represent first. We're ambassadors of heaven first. We're citizens of heaven first. We're disciples of Jesus Christ first. We're children of the Most High God first. Knowing this first. The Word of God is our foremost absolute authority. The Word of God, the Bible. This is our constitution. This is our constitution. This, this is our document of freedom and liberty. This is our everything. This is our authority. Not the papers and things that are signed by men in parliament and everything else. Not by those in the White House, what they happen to say on their feelings of the matter at the moment. But what the Word of God says that's preserved unto all generations. So, so regardless of what happens to come down the line, if it in any way, shape, or form, even remotely, contradicts the Word of God, we do not have to obey that or listen to that. Regardless who they are, what they are, what they say, the word of God comes first. And we cannot, we cannot compromise our faith just so we can appease sinful men. We cannot contradict God's word just to stay in the appeasement and satiation of sinners. Am I right or am I wrong? Am I right or am I wrong? So, there's something to think about. Now, with this set, with this set, it's one thing to say it, 
it's another thing to do it. It's it's really easy to say when you're behind the camera, you're sitting in the safety of your home. It's another thing when you're out in public. But this is where faith is put into practice. This is where faith becomes religion. This becomes your pure, undefiled religion, as James chapter 1 says. Your pure, undefiled religion is the physical carryings out of one's belief of faith. You say you love the Lord. You say you love the Word of God. You say you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You say you're a servant of the Most High God. Let's see it. Let's see it. When uh, when the gray coats come to your door and they demand your Bibles or you when the bills are passed that, that censor your faith, when, when laws are passed that, that uh, demand you to obey them over God, we'll, we'll truly see the sheep amongst the goats. This is where it truly separates the men from the boys. This is where you'll really see those who actually mean what they say. So, how much are you willing to suffer for the truth of God? Alright, I'll leave that there. Let's move on. Enough said. If you have any comments, questions, issues, insights on this so far, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. If you disagree with me, okay, we can disagree. But like in the famous words of Martin Luther, convince me by scripture. I don't care about philosophies and opinions and feelings and all these other kinds of things. I, I care about what the word of God says. So if you could show me by the word of God how we're supposed to obey anything and everything that comes out of the government, Okay, well, I'll, I'll bow to that. But until then, we have to obey God rather than men. All right, let's move on. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So, again, we have to pay attention to the specific words. Good and acceptable before God unto God, by the sight of God. Okay, so according to God's standard, what is good, what is acceptable? What is good and what is acceptable? That is our standard. So for this, we want to just jump over to John chapter 6 just for a moment. Alright, so John, Luke, and we want to go to John chapter 6. And over to verse 28 and 29. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that you might work the works of God? So to work the works of God. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Now go over to verse 39 and 40 of John 6. This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that, uh, that everyone who seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So good works and the will of the Father is to believe on him, to follow him. To believe on him, follow him. So we see die to self, forsake all, pick up the cross, follow him. So we see taking up the law, the authority, the word, the ways, the life, the truth of the kingdom of heaven. The seeking the kingdom of heaven. So, in, uh, as we see in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and its righteousness, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We go over to John 15, verse 7. Uh, if ye abide in me, my words abide in you, then ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. This is good and acceptable. This is how we're supposed to live. That in everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. So just 
I know I said enough is enough on the other one, but just to interject one last thing, do all to the glory of God. So how does it bring God glory to support laws that are abomination? How does it bring God glory to support and follow laws and bylaws and ordinances that are in direct contradiction to the word of God? Now is enough enough. Okay. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. <laughs> and every hyper-Calvinist just read. Okay, so we see in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, who will have all men to be saved. So God actually does desire that all would be saved, but will all get saved no but his desire is that all would be saved why would god desire that all be saved but then deliberately make it make it in such a such a way that they can't get saved that doesn't make any sense whatsoever on any line of logic or reasoning but we want to go over to second peter chapter 3 verse 9 all right second peter i'm not going to get into the whole anti-calvinism thing here i'm just going to make a couple points and then we're going to move on i've beaten this one half to death man i've done tons of other videos on it so enough is enough on that so but there's here's just something i just want to point out so in second peter chapter 3 verse 9 the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, before some people go on and say, well, that's us talking specifically about the same. God so loved the world. You see, um, it's what's called linguistic theft. Linguistic theft is what uh, much of the hyper-Calvinist uh, crowd does, is they take certain words like world, any, all, whosoever, and they deliberately actually redefine those words so to, to make those words say something else. But if you actually go to the majority text documents, majority text manuscripts, and look at the actual original Greek and Hebrew meanings of these words, it's vastly different than what the hyper calvinist crowd actually says it is world actually means world and it's and the term is a general all inclusive uh, world means literally world all everybody within the world any literally meaning any whosoever literally meaning whosoever but they go and say well it's world of the elect a limited specific is what what the term is a limited specific so they change it from a general all-inclusive to be a limited specific i.e the limited atonement doctrine of of uh, the tulip theories uh, where jesus he atoned uh, for sin on the cross but he specifically restricted limited his atonement and only directed it to specific selected chosen people and he did not atone for the sins of the whole world like the bible flat out says because otherwise for god is not willing that any should perish because if unconditional election limited atonement is true then god is willing that some should perish 
and that would contradict 2 Peter 3 9. And would contradict uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. We have an issue. So if a doctrine, if a theory, if an opinion, if a certain belief contradicts the word of God even remotely, then that uh, doctrine, opinion, theology is wrong. You need to restructure yourself to fit what the Bible says. Who will have all men to be saved? Well, all, all of the previously selective chosen. No, that's not what that means. Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, so, and uh, want to take these passages, take these things and correlate it. Like, look at John chapter 3. For God so loved the world. Again, I'm just going to pick on that one. For God so loved the world. Means not just world of of the elect. That's not what that means. It's not what that means. That's linguistic theft. Uh, uh, it's a that's twisting of the word of God to fit the catechismic opinions and ideologies of man. And that's not what God says. For God so loved the world. How and we also on another note, I just want to change the the route here. For God so loved. It doesn't say God loved the world. It says He so loved the world. The so love of God is the self sacrificing love of God. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's what God did. Acts twenty twenty eight. God purchased the church with His own blood. Uh, the word which is God became flesh and dwelt among us. God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the true God and eternal life, and that God fashioned that body for himself and he humbled himself to the cross and there we see uh, philippians 2 5 to 8 and we see god so loved he actually gave his own life's blood he atoned himself he gave himself for this this is how much he cares how much he loves and he calls all to him and he sends this message out to all because it's not with any should perish and he calls all he draws all to him and he gives them a choice. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. He enlightens the heart and the mind. Gives them the taste of the light of the glimpse of. It gives everyone a chance. And they then, uh, as the word of God says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And and many we see in Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, sin against, reject, and they oppose it. They don't want it. And they fall away. How hard it is to renew them again. See, this is the will of God. This is the work of God. This is what he does. He calls all, draws all, gives all a chance. He's not willing that any should perish. Not willing that any should perish. We'll have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is one way, one truth, one life. There's only one way of salvation. And that is through what the word of God says. What the word of God says. Now here in Canada, it's actually considered hate speech to condemn and put down other people's beliefs. I'm not putting down their beliefs. God is. God says there's only one mediator. There's only one way, one truth, one life, one God, one Lord, one Savior. There's only one way of salvation. That is through the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Not Michael the Archangel, Jesus. Not uh, not uh, the lesser prophet, lesser than Muhammad, Jesus. Not the good man, Jesus. Not the one of many gods, Jesus. Not one of the, the demigods, Jesus. But the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. 
That's what the Bible says. And it's by grace through faith and belief alone. Not by works, not by righteous works, not by law keeping, not by water baptism, not by Mary, not by Krishna, not by Muhammad or Allah or Buddha or any of the others, but only through the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, by grace through faith by belief alone, because he did all the work. He's the mediator. He's the intercessor. He's the advocate. He's the savior. He's the redeemer and has nothing to do with me. I bring nothing to the table of my salvation other than the sin that made it necessary. That's what the Word of God teaches. That's what the Word of God shows. It doesn't matter what the government say, what society says. It doesn't matter what others are crying and reeing in the streets. It matters what the Lord says according to His Word. And if your country, if your nation supports and promotes the belief systems of the Gospels of Hell, then what are we doing supporting those? We can't. We can't give our voice and, and our, our, our advocacy for those systems. We can't st support that. We can't support those parties, those political parties, those politicians. We can't support those governments. We can't. We have to be God rather than men. You see how we're, how we're kind of backed into a biblical corner here, so to speak. We're, they're forced to have to make a choice. Or we have to betray our conscience and compromise our faith to support those other systems. We'll have all men to be saved come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, one meter between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So we have to say that the other belief systems are wrong. And they're not of God. And they'll lead you straight to hell. There's no salvation in any other belief system in the world. Other than the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, by grace through faith belief alone. That's the word of God says. And if the, if the societies want to arrest me or whatever else, then so be it. If they want to find me and hate on me or whatever else, persecute me, so be it. I'm not compromising my faith just so sinners can go to hell more comfortably. I hope you understand that and hope you agree with that. But there's one God, one God, one Lord, one Savior, one way, one truth, one life. Only one who gave himself a ransom for all. All. That's a general, all-inclusive. Gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto, verse 7, whereunto I am ordained a preacher. I'm ordained a preacher. We are, we are set up by God, called by God, ordained by God to be his witnesses. And it's not just the guy in the pulpit that, that's set up and ordained to be a witness. Every Christian, man, woman, and child... Every Christian who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is, is called of God to be his witness, to be his evangelist, to be his testifier, to promote the gospel, to share this truth, this good news to all the world. I am ordained a preacher. And we also do, do see the office of the preacher, the pastor, the bishop, that this office comes with a high calling. And that uh, we have a responsibility to bring you the truth, to lay our lives on the line for the truth if need be, to bring you this truth, to show you this, so that you can be encouraged, edified by this, and take this message and go and share it. 
And we see in verse 7 here, uh, uh, it says, For I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. And so we see Paul here is declaring his authority as well. As an apostle of Jesus Christ and a preacher of the truth. Now, as an apostle, they're given even more authority. They're given a, a higher office of this. We see that they are the writers of scripture. The spirit of God speaking through them, inspiring them what to write and to pass down the actual doctrines of our faith, the doctrines of Jesus Christ. So we see the, the, the high truth of this. As this is the word of God Almighty spoken through the mouth of Paul. The word of God Almighty, which he says his word is above his very name. How high and holy are the names of God? How high and holy is the word of God then? I'm ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath. And doubting so we see that there is a structure this is what I'm getting at there's a structure to the born-again Christian faith it's not just whatever we happen to feel like at the moment like certain charismatic movements it's not whatever you feel whatever you want there's actually a system now we do see going all even back to the Old Testament. Now I know we're not in the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament, in the church, in the church age, church dispensation. And we see the covenant has changed. But even in, in the way that the, the faith was given in the Old Testament, that there was a structure to it, a certain system and certain things that God approved and God disapproved in worship and practice and praise and all of this. And we do see this carried over into the New Testament, the New Covenant, given to the church there's a certain system a certain order a certain structure that is given we do see like how we gather together how we pray how we praise how we worship how we study how we read we've gone over this before and that it, that our opinions our feelings are irrelevant the word of god is the doctrine the word of god is the truth the authority whatever god says that's what it is we see we've talked about the order of the family, the structure of the family, the husband, the wife, the children. We see the structure of the church, and we're going to be getting into that. I don't know if we'll be getting into this today, but we do see how there's a structure here of what is acceptable and good before God. Because we do see in the liberal progressive churches that whatever is good and acceptable is according to their opinions, the people. The people become the authority. The people become God, so to speak. They become what uh, they become their authority. That whatever they feel they dictate is their truth. The truth is whatever you feel it is at the moment. Truth is whatever you happen to have in your visions and dreams and hallucinations and all the rest of this. But we see. Rather, what is good and acceptable before God, according to God's standard, according to God's authority, God's doctrine. And we get down to this um, in verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, without confusion, without frustration, without frustrating grace, without, without dissimulation. Lifting up holy hands. Now, Again, this is, so you see how I'm going out with this, how, how I'm tackling this. Because when I see words like holy, 
and we just uh, put up the word holy just for a moment and we take a look at this holy holy and holiness by whose standard because we see for example the pharisees had an idea of what they think holiness is see pharisees think holiness is the outward uh the 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 forced mandatory maintenance of the outward making sure your phylacteries are really long and and you're you're dressed right your hair is right and you walk right you talk right and you and you turn yourself into this this crazed mystic pharisee hypocrite uh, where jesus condemns them for this that they look beautiful but inwardly they're full of rottenness and dead bones they have not the love of God in them. They love their own hands. They love their own works. The fruit inspectors. The works-based salvationists. Then you see holiness by the standard of the liberal progressive, where it's it's whatever makes you feel. Not so much as the outward, but it's the inward feelings. Again, it's still you. It's still you. But it's, it's now more of an open freedom, liberty, for whatever you feel is mystic and nice and warm and kind and accepting and loving but what is holy hands according to god's standard according to his word we do see that it's not in in legalism it's not in law it's in faith but there is a structure there's a system there is a limit there's a limit not all forms of music are accepted before god like, think about that one just for a moment. You mean Brother Matthew's condemning whole genres? Well, I, I, I would dare say that death metal isn't really acceptable before God. You could argue that one if you want. And I might I might personally throw jazz in there, but that's just me. But, uh, you know, there are certain things that God does not accept. And we study the word of God. We see what, what uh, the character of God, the attributes of God's holiness, his personality, his, his character. We see that, that, that uh, the character of man, the attributes of man's personality don't always mesh. Don't always mesh. And to know what is acceptable before God, we have to die to self and forsake ourselves as authority, that we are not the authority figures. And we have to take the word of God as the absolute line. The buck stops here. The word of God. Not denominational distinctives. Not church traditions. Not catechismic ideologies. Not the councils and the creeds. What the word of God, the Bible flat out says. The Bible flat out says. Some churches, some denominations, condemn musical instruments in the church. I don't understand that one. I never have. I've never, ever understood that one. That they don't even have a piano. Nothing. Everything's acapella. Well, there's nothing wrong with acapella, but, but to condemn musical instruments in the church? Well, in the Bible, you see that people worshipped God on, on instruments of ten strings and cymbals and tabrets and harps. What's wrong with musical instruments? Well, because if you get a piano, the next step is rock and roll. That's kind of a big jump there, bud. But you see that reason, logic, according to the word of God, not according to your feelings, not according to your standards, not denominational distinctives. 
Some Christians will condemn you if you don't wear a tie, especially in the pulpit. Uh, I guess you got a bit of a problem in some of the third world countries or or the native tribes in the jungles. Are you telling me that when you when you lead them to the Lord and they get saved that they now have to wear suit and ties if they go to church? That they're, they're, that they're not as close to God as you are unless they're wearing a tie? Like, man's logic versus God's logic. We see there is freedom, there is grace, there is liberty, but liberty is not a liberty to sin. Now, what is sin according to God's standard? Not what is sin according to your denominational distinctives. Okay, so you see where I'm coming at. That there is a limit, there's a line. As the same as obeying government, as there is with, with, uh, with seeing what the rule and authority of denominational distinctives have to say. So there's one God, one Lord, one mediator. There's one authority. This is what I'm getting at. There's one authority. And the authority is not man. The authority is not denominations. The authority is not government. The authority is not feelings. The authority is not you or me. The authority is God in his word alone. You see people that, that tout sola scriptura, but they're bringing in all kinds of other authorities into their lives to control them and tell them what to do. If you truly are a believer in sola scriptura, then the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures are truly the only authority in your whole life for every aspect of your being and your life. See where I'm coming at? See what I'm saying here? Holy hands, holy lives, that our minds be subject to the word of God in prayer. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Every high thing, whatever is considered a high authority, a high position, if it's in contradiction to the word of God even remotely, then it's wrong and we don't obey it. Regardless what it is. Regardless, if you think that that it's it, it's it's not important, or it's if it's it's just a little thing and it doesn't matter, everything matters when it comes to the Word of God. The Word of God is our absolute authority for all aspects of faith and practice of faith and life and living. I speak the truth in Christ, and I lie not, as Paul says. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere. Pray everywhere. To pray everywhere. In everything. About everything. For everything. Even the things that you would think are, are minute. They're just not a big deal. Make it a deal before God. Why not? Why wouldn't you want to? Why wouldn't you want to pray over a glass of water? It's just a glass of water that God gave you as a blessing to you to help you right now because you're thirsty. That's a blessing of God. Why aren't you thanking him? So you pray everywhere. To pray everywhere, to, to, that's to, to bring the Lord into everything. To bring the Lord into everything. And everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. Even in voting. Now this is this is controversial. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just I'm just spouting here. Just some thoughts. Because, you know, you could do whatever you want, believe whatever you want, go do be have whatever you want. 
that's your right, your liberty. I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm just some something I'm just thinking about. Because we do see that elections are coming up they're not too far away. Regardless who's on the ballot, you feel strongly to vote for a certain political party, for a certain individual. I'm not telling you what to do. But just that to pray even about this, God's will be done. Is it the will of God that you would support an individual who supports sin and abomination? Regardless of what party. Is that is that will, will does that bring God glory and honor? Is that godliness and holiness? Is that holy hands voting and supporting for individuals who in and of themselves support and promote sin and abomination, regardless what party they are. Just a thought. I'm just thinking out loud. Because we have to take everything but from a biblical perspective. Sola Scriptura on everything. That faith alone in everything. God alone in everything. Bring Him into everything. Would God support it? Would Jesus Himself put His signature on and support that man, that party, that, that office? If He wouldn't, why are you? Just a thought. Well, if I don't, then so-and-so might get in. We were told things would get worse in the end anyways. And in all honesty, do you really believe your vote matters? That's a whole other thing. Okay, I, 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 I'm, I'm backing off of that. I'm backing off of that anyways. But uh, just, just some thoughts. Just some thoughts in here. Because we take what the Word of God says. I can't act upon what I think. Well, I feel, I believe, is irrelevant. Irrelevant. Your authority, my authority, our feelings, our opinions, our desires, our logic, our reasoning is irrelevant. Utterly irrelevant. To the nth degree. How can I call myself a disciple of Jesus Christ that forsakes all, picks up the cross and follows him, dies to self, brings God into everything, and then go and act upon what I feel I think in the matter, especially on something that's important. That's a big issue. Like rule of the church, rule of the home, rule of government. I'm not saying that you can't go and vote. Don't go from here saying Brother Matthew says you're not supposed to vote. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, is there someone on the ballot that God would vote for? That's what I'm saying. I will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands. Are your hands holy? Are your hands holy? holy your works your works your deeds are your steps holy according to god's standard how god sees it what god says about this because a lot of people have differing views and opinions on this of what they think is holiness but like i said we need to bring it back we need to pull everything back to the simplicity of the word of god 
the simplicity of the word of God, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Let's take a look at this one just for a moment. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Without wrath and doubting. The thinking of a man deliberately with himself. The thinking of a man de deliberating, deliberating with himself. Your own reasoning. Your own reasoning. Your own logic. Deliberating, questioning about what is true. Lifting up holy hands without wrath, without anger, without your own emotions mixed into it, and doubting your own reasoning. So lifting up holy hands without your own emotions in, in being involved or your own reasoning involved. That's literally what 1 Timothy 2 verse 8 says. And that's for everything. In everything. About everything. For everything. Okay, I don't really think we need to go over that much more. Let's continue. Now, we also see that the next portion here is one that I generally get stoned for. I've been just raked over the coals, ripped apart, cursed up one side down the other through the middle i've had the third layer torn off of me by tons and tons and tons of people generally the, the of the blue-haired persuasion <laughs> but let's just go on like we're talking about there's a structure there's an order that it's not just whatever you feel whatever you want whatever you like well i think this this looks nice that uh, what, what you're wearing okay that's what you feel but if you take this and compare it to the word of the living God, does God himself say, or are you saying that the God of your imagination says it's okay? The God of your reasoning, the God of your logic, your God, your idea of God, your twisting of the God of the Bible is okay with it. Well, let's look at this. So we do see that... that uh, about holiness without personal emotion and without personal logic and reasoning, but holiness according to God's standard, holiness even in appearance. You see, we talked about that which is holy before God, acceptable to God in government, in church structure, in family unit. Now let's look at in order of personal life. Personal life. And some examples are given here. All right, so buckle down. In like manner, as example, for an example, verse, verse 9, in like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Modesty. Modesty. Modest apparel. With shamefacedness and sobriety. Not sexualizing themselves. Your clothes are more like saran wrap than actual clothes. 
in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair and gold or pearls and costly array, the extravagant luxury type of approach that's not that's not what God finds attractive. There's nothing wrong with beautification, but there is over overdoing it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And certain individuals go way above and beyond and it, it's and and the appearance is more of a show of more about the promotion of self to get everyone to look at you. Because you want the appeasement of people, you want the uh, you want the attention of people. God says avoid that. There's nothing wrong with looking nice, but when it becomes all about you and it's a show to get everyone to look at you and to and to compliment you, then it then it's more about you than it is about the Lord. So we see it's godliness, holiness according to God's standard, even in appearance. The same as with guys. Okay, so we see um, verse 10, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. As women professing godliness. So we see the modesty and uh, simplicity. There's nothing wrong with looking nice. There's nothing wrong with having nice clothes. But there, but there is something wrong with going above and beyond. And, and, and decking yourself out to bring attention to yourself. So we see that in everything that we do, it's supposed to bring attention to the Lord. Attention to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with jewelry. There is such a thing as going overboard. And before anyone says anything, yes, the the, the Bible uh, actually supports. Uh, uh, one thing is some people go on to say, you know, piercings, earrings are are a curse of God. No, it's not. No, they're not. Because if you actually go back in the Old Testament and uh, the certain passages, talk, God is actually talking about Israel. He's describing Israel even with earrings. Earrings. So we see that describing uh, Israel as a bride adorned with the gowns and the jewels and earrings and all these things. So we do see that that's in there. And uh, so there's nothing wrong with having earrings, nothing wrong with having jewelry, but being extravagant. See that extravagancy because it's making it about self. Look what I have. Look what, look what I look like. Look at what I'm doing. Look at me. We want the attention to be all for the Lord. We don't want to distract from the Lord. So you see, you see, there, there's a line, and the and the term here is modesty, modesty. Uh, and we see as per, uh, women professing godliness with good works. So we see as well, even in the type of clothing, as there is much of modern clothing styles, where it's all about ex, uh, accentuating body parts. We got to make this somewhat PG. And there are certain types of clothing, whether shirts, uh, tops, or uh, pants, skirts, or whatever, that are inappropriate. It's all about accentuating self. That's wrong. That's sinful. That's se uh, sexual clothing. It's inappropriate. That's not that which becometh or professeth godliness. All right. I really think about this i don't really see that the the women disciples of jesus at the time dressing like that 
looks more like whorish clothing than anything else. Tell me I'm wrong. Which becometh men professing godliness, becometh uh, women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. <laughs> we cringe at it only because we know what the vast majority of people's opinions on the, these kinds of topics are, especially in this day and age. They start screaming all kinds of terms and things and saying this is this is wrong, this is not fair, this isn't. But this is God's standard. Does God make a mistake? God's not being chauvinist here. He's not being misogynistic or anything here. That God set up a system, an order, a family structure that the enemy is always wanting to invert and destroy. That it's always been Adam was made first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, Eve was. That just for example, we go back in the Old Testament, there were no women who were who were uh priests of the tabernacle. There were no women who were the priests of the temple. There were no women who were the rabbis of synagogues. And it was given to the apostles, not Mary and Martha. It, it wasn't Deborah, it was Barak. It wasn't Ruth, it was Boaz. It wasn't Esther, it was Mordecai. It wasn't Miriam, it was Moses and Aaron. It wasn't Eve, it was Adam. It wasn't Mary and Martha, it was the apostles. You see a, you see a system here. You see something that was given by God, ordained by God, set up by God. You can argue this all you want, but this is what the Bible says. And that that uh, the men are the leaders that's what the bible says that's what god says if you don't like that take it up with god let the women learn in silence without subjection to be subjected to who those in the positions of authority over them women were made to be the help meet of the man that's what the bible says now please understand I'm not taking this and, and in any way, shape, or form condoning or advocating, supporting what some men do. They take these kinds of passages and they run with them. And that the women basically are chattel. That's disgusting and inappropriate and not that which becomes godliness. And if you're one of those kinds of guys, shame on you. You know nothing of the word of God, nothing about the love of Christ, nothing about the order of God. Yes, men have the authority and the rule, but that's not meant to be taken out of control and uh, turned into an iron fist that beats women into, into position and, and uh, subjugation. That's inappropriate, and that's not that which becomes godliness. Now, the, the husband wants to love his wife as he, loves him, as he loves his own body, and they're supposed to love each other to become one flesh, to work together in love and harmony and unity together. The women were created in the image of God just as men were. But we just see a certain system and order of the family structure, the church structure, of, of society structure that's according to the word of God. That people are always wanting to destroy, corrupt, or invert. Now we go on to the next one, for example. The, let the women learn in silence of all subjection. Verse 12. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. 
What's the context? Does this mean that women are never allowed to speak? No. Does this mean that women are never allowed to do anything? No. There's a certain context, certain system, certain order of this. But suffer not a woman to teach. In what context? This is in position, like, for example, of a local church function. Teaching congregants to, to take the position of a teacher of a church. Now, does that mean that women can't be evangelists? No. Does that mean that women can't be missionaries? No, no, no. Women can be missionaries. Women can be evangelists. Women can be all this. This is talking about the and the actual structure of, of church. As you have the congregants and you have the pastor, the bishop, the teacher. Because this is what it goes right into in the context. Now. This one is probably one of the most debated topics uh, that uh, I've ever come across that women challenge, uh, challenge me on all the time. And I have to pull it up on here. For some reason, it's not coming up on my tablet. And uh, But again, we have to just go by what does the Bible flat out say on this? About women pastors, women teachers. You see, the liberal modern personal interpretation uh, within Christianity and Christian religion, modern feminists today would scream and shriek, of course, women can lead the church. Not understanding what the Bible actually says on this. Uh, they, they, They say this with much emphasis. Just as they allow... They allow literally everything else as well, saying sin is no longer sin and an abomination is no longer bad. Because for one, I'm just, just going to say it. If you actually, for, for example, take a look at churches that have women pastors, women leadership, more often than not, you see those churches aligning with and affirming the SJW woke culture more often than not it's it's, it's just interesting that, that, that that's the case but that's beside the point now contradicting the bible has become a modern staple of the modern liberal church movement and for those wondering what god has to say about it regardless what feelings of modern society says we want to take a look at this the Bible says, suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man. How can we then take that passage and say, well, that's irrelevant. That was for back then. Convenient. Very convenient. Well, that was for back then. That's not for today. Okay, well, how far do you take that logic then? What about the Ten Commandments? What about all the other laws of God, the rules of God, the commandments of God, and everything else? Was that that just for back then? How, How do you know what's for today and what's not? We see, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor do you super authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. 
What does that mean? When you dedicate yourself to the Lord, give yourself to the Lord and serve the Lord out of, out of the fearfulness of the Lord and honesty and belief of the Lord, that uh, even in childbearing, there will be grace and mercy in these things that the Lord will make things easier. But if you oppose the Lord and fight the Lord, we see the blessing in the hand of God being removed. Now, this goes right into chapter 3. And it's a big topic. I think uh, we've been going for an hour 20 now. We'll have to actually push pause on this because the topic is huge and we'll go on for another couple hours. And I just want to stir the pot a little bit here and we'll have to come back to this tomorrow. But I have a whole lesson on this on what does the Bible actually teach in regards to church function and leadership, leadership of the church. But suffice to say, we see, for example, in verse 12 of chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, suffer not a woman to teach. Now, today they would say that's misogynistic, that's chauvinist, that's, that's not proper equality. Well, see, there's the world's version and idea of equality, the world's version of fairness, the world's version of what they think should be allowed and what God says. You see, this is, this is the theme of today. The theme of the study today is God's order, God's structure in every aspect of our life, in every aspect of belief and practice of faith. Now, from the governments to the society, to the home, to the church, to everything, to the job, to even your personal life. Even what you do, how you even decorate yourself. There's, there's a certain structure and order given by God. What God finds acceptable and what he finds unacceptable. There's order. It's when we oppose the order of God, we run into a great many problems. The family starts to fall apart when the order of the home is inverted when the when the mother when the wife takes rule and becomes the authority and the man it be, it subjects himself to the wife you know those you know the soy boy types they are they they're more of a girl than they are a dude and they subject themselves and they that family will fall apart or where there's no father figure the home falls apart when the church refuses to follow the orders that God set up, that church falls apart at the seams. When the nation casts off the bands of God, Psalms chapter 2, and, and uh, fights against the Lord, that nation falls apart. In your own personal life, and uh, things that you allow, the thing, things that you don't allow, when it becomes by your, as we see, by your feelings and your reasoning, your life, your faith will fall apart. Because God removes his hand of protection and blessing. He removes his hands of guidance from those that refuse to allow the Lord to guide them. When the nation rejects God, that nation will be turned to hell, is what the Bible says. And the same can be applied on a personal life. When a person rejects the Lord, that person will be turned to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. When a church rejects the order 
rejects that which God set up, when a church rejects God's standards of authority and rule and order, that church will be turned into a church of hell. Tell me I'm wrong. Convince me by scripture. But we will come back to this and we'll finish this topic tomorrow. God willing, Lord willing. So make sure you prepare yourself. Uh, grab a bowl of popcorn. It's going to be fun. As it's, it's covering a topic that, uh, my goodness, I have never in my life received more hate, more hate, more curses, more, more violence than the whole women pastors topic. Seriously, it's insane. Absolutely insane. But it's going to be fun. All right, so I hope uh, you enjoyed this one. If you appreciate these studies, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons. So you know, we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons of other goodies and topics and whatnot, as well as our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. If you have links, uh, if you want to, you, we have links there for all our other platforms and media accounts, as well as free downloadable gospel track PDFs and whatnot. Again, folks, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding today's study, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. Now, regarding the one passage here that just comes to mind, uh, what we're talking about um, <laughs> in verse 9 of chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, uh, not with braided hair. Does that mean women can't have braids? No, that's not what that means. It's, it's the plating of the hair. It's, we talk about like really big, fancy hairdo kind of things. That's that's getting at. Of, of just above and beyond. It's just unnecessary. It's extravagance. It's it's all about you. That's not. There's nothing wrong with looking nice. Now, to bring this up because actually, it was a couple years ago, um, my wife and I, uh, we're driving somewhere and we're talking about just this verse. We just happen to be talking about this verse and some people's weird ideas and views on it. And my wife, just for fun, just grabbed her phone and started looking up to see what some other people believe on this. And we actually pulled up a page. Now, I forget what church it is. It was some law-based, works-based cult church thing. But they had a whole article on the braided hair thing. And they actually said on their page, they actually said that if you braid your hair, you're going to hell. If you braid your hair, you will go to hell. Needless to say, we had a very good laugh on that one. That's insane. That's stupid. That's that's the illogical nonsense of biblically ignorant cults. Um, I had no idea that hairstyles were salvationary. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> but you see, God's logic, God's reasoning, God's standard, God's order versus our reasoning, our logic, our thinking. 
You see, according to God's standard, what is salvationary, what is not? According to the word of God, the word of God alone. We see it's not by works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law. Wouldn't hairstyles technically then fall under works? Technically? Yeah. So, you see. So, saying stupid things like that, like if you don't make yourself presentable good enough, you're going to go to hell. So, they're basing your salvation on your physical fruit. You see, the fruit inspectors base, basing your salvation on your physical fruit. That's cult think. It's called cult think. It's a cult mind. So again, we avoid all of that. We see pure religion undefiled. God's standard. I hope this made sense. I hope this made sense. I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope this is a help to you. I hope this gives you something to think about. And again, if you appreciate these studies, please give us a like, us a thumbs up, and uh, let me know what you think. So, is that it for today? Okay. Uh, okay, we go down through the comments here. Rosalie says, can you please explain what Paul says? All authorities are put in power by God. He doesn't say that, and we did go over that in uh, near the beginning of our study on the Romans 13, verses 1 to 3. I believe it is. Um, so yeah, just rewind the tape. You'll see. Wow, I dated myself. Just rewind the tape. Okay, rewind the tape. And you, you'll see what I'm talking about at the beginning. Okay, uh, going down through. Uh, Josker says, if you have time, can you please share about Galatians 5? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I want to do this in my life and live in obedience to Christ. Um Okay, uh, walk by faith, not by sight. Walk in the spirit, not, not the flesh. We see much of this all down through the scriptures. Uh, this is a theme all the way through the word of God. The difference in the, in the dichotomy between the flesh and spirit. The flesh wars with the spirit, and I cannot do the things I would. About uh, crucifying the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. Uh, subjecting the flesh with the affections and lusts. This, uh, again, as we saw in the verse today... Um, uh, in First Timothy two verse eight, First Timothy verse uh, chapter two verse eight, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So we see we looked in the meaning of those words, and we saw it's talking about a, of personal feeling and emotion, and personal reason and logic. So how do we how do we do that? The flesh wants to go and judge things by the standard of what what you personally find acceptable i think i feel i believe we avoid that so how can we walk in the spirit by avoiding pressing down pushing away rejecting my own personal reasoning and logic and taking everything by just purely simply what does the bible say what just does this say what does god say about the difference between uh of uh the holy and the profane righteousness and unrighteousness what uh, what was acceptable to the character of god by the word of god's standard so this is this is how we can uh walk in obedience to christ by obeying the word of christ and not our word our logic our reason our thinking our catechisms our councils our creeds our denominational distinctives our personal religion instead of the religion of jesus christ
the way of Jesus Christ, the truth of Jesus Christ, pure religion undefiled. So it simply just comes down to what is acceptable to God by the standard of the word of God. So how can we find this? By studying it, studying it. We won't get everything right immediately, but this is where the grace of God comes in. As our salvation is not based upon our fruit, our salvation is based upon our belief on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation from the condemnation of our sin. And once saved, always saved. Because salvation is not by works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law. So now the walk of faith, the walk of discipleship is the walk of learning. And God is long-suffering. He's graceful and merciful and he understands. And God knows we're not going to get everything immediately right, right away. It's a process of learning. And so we see the patience of God in this and that he will teach us. He'll show us. He'll instruct us as he'll teach us the difference in the holy and the profane. He will teach us all things, cause us to be in remembrance of everything where he has told us. He'll bring his conviction upon us. We just wait on him. We learn of him. And like we talked about, we just bring everything up to him. We see what he has to say about it. We seek his face about it, not what I feel. We are not the interpreters of the word of God. The word of God is the interpreter of the word of God. So we take anything. Let's say, the I don't know, video games. <laughs> let's pick one. Video games. Are all video games bad? No. Some are. Well, how can we know which ones are, which ones aren't? You take the content. What is being promoted by it? What what kind of... Uh, what kind of uh, atmosphere is it promoting the the, the details the, the language the the pictures the images are the things in this in this game for example acceptable to god if not why are you partaking it's just it, it comes down to simply another way of looking at it is everywhere you go everything you're doing the spirit of the living God is accompanying you. When you sit down to watch shows, listen to music, go to town, go to work, go to whatever, the spirit of God is right there with you. You're making him do it along with you. I don't want to grieve him. I don't want to shame him. I don't want to anger him. I don't want to upset him. I don't want to offend him. I want to be honorable and faithful and loving to my Lord God. I want to bring him honor and glory. Does this thing regardless what it is does this event this circumstance this thing does this bring god honor and glory does this offend him it simply comes down to that the logic of the word of god the reasoning of the word of god and this is exactly what we've been talking about today the order and standard of god's holiness of what is acceptable before god look at it that way it's simple as that. An understanding that we walk by faith, we walk by grace, not law, grace. We're no longer under law, we're under grace. But grace is not grace to sin. Liberty is not liberty to sin. But even though if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who will forgive us and cleanse us because he is faithful and just to forgive us. So it's a process of learning. And God is graceful and he's long-suffering and he's gentle. We are his children. We're not slaves. We're children so there you go all right so with that hope that helps god bless you folks god bless all those who love our lord god jesus christ god bless all those who love his holy word hope to see you again and as always 
If I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.